Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am talking to Michael McRitchie. He is the CEO and founder of Satellite Office. As mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, when I get into it, uh, Satellite Office is one of the OGs of outsourcing. They have been around now and actually soon to celebrate their 10th year anniversary. So certainly in outsourcing years, that is a long time to be in the scene. Uh, it's a great conversation with Michael, far-reaching conversation. We cover everything from outsourcing, the changes in outsourcing, uh, that everything that's happening with Satellite Office, and of course, AI as everyone is talking about at the moment. So I certainly had a great conversation and learned a lot and I hope you enjoy. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory we help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Michael, welcome to the show. It's really great. This is the first time we've actually connected. I see Satellite Office as one of the OGs in the outsourcing space. So it's good to finally properly connect and to uh, really learn about satellite office and, and how you're positioned in the market. So welcome. How are you? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Derek. Great to be here. And, and thanks for your time and, and also the invite um, to come and join you in the podcast today. So first of all, satellite office, it, it's a fantastic name, actually, because it, it is exactly what it, it does exactly what it says on the tin sort of thing. It's, um, it's great. So what is satellite office? What's, what's your own story and journey with that? Well, a, a little a little side story on on the name. Um, it was actually my wife who came up with with the name. We were we were workshopping it for weeks on end to come up with the right name. And my wife one day mentioned it in the kitchen, and I quickly ran to the laptop and secured the URL and any other IP branding and business names and the like. And off we went. Um, 
It's great. So, it's great. And it's all about the URL, yeah. actually, isn't it? It's got nothing to do with the name you like. You've actually got to be able to secure the URL. Yeah, yeah you've got to be able to secure the URL. Well, there was a few names before then that we that we tried that weren't available. Um, but that was actually our best name that we came up with anyway, or that my wife came up with. Um, so it was great to get that name. But look, that's the names only what's up on the on the billboard. Um, who are we? Um, I'd probably take a step back to explain um, who we are to then go forward, if you like. So I was 10 years at KPMG for my sins. I was a chartered accountant in a prior life. I worked there mostly in mergers and acquisitions and advisory. I advised a, a great Greek or Cypriot family on acquiring a, an online sports betting company called Cenobet. Um, and the, the, the head person there, Con, effectively said to me that you've created this mess of us buying this business. You need to come and help sort this mess out for us. So I was there for eight years. It was very much like a private equity style play. We bought the business, we integrated it, we floated, we grew it and we sold it. And during that eight years, I went from CFO to a COO to a, the CEO effectively of that business and was on the public company board and was the CEO or managing director when we sold it. After that stint, I became the CEO of an online retail business called Deals Direct. And in that role, we built a 50 man, 50 plus person team um, in the Philippines. And that's what got me into setting up satellite office. The team that we had with Deals Direct, and I can touch on that later, but the team that we had there was a was better performing and had improvement in metrics across all forms of how we were measuring that team compared to our Australian team. Um, and the success of that is what got me into setting up Satellite Office, which we're about to have our 10th birthday. So that was uh, 10 years ago when we started. Our 10th birthday is at the end of this month. Um, and the, the values or the um, point of difference that we wanted to create 10 years ago when we started still resonates today. And it's your, your earlier question of who, who are we and, and what how do we differentiate ourselves, if you like, but who are we, is we're a high-quality, consultative, client-partnering service provider. Our point of difference that we identified 10 years ago, or was it probably more like 11 years ago, um, still resonates today. So we have a high quality threshold on every touch point, and that's across the people that we recruit for our internal team, the people we recruit for our client teams, the tools that we put in place to service those our clients and ourselves internally, the facilities that we operate from, and just how we behave. Um, every touch point, I'm a strong believer that there's no magic bullet to how you run a business, just like there's no magic, there's no single magic bullet to how you perform best in a, in a team, in a sporting environment. You've got to do all the little one percenters, right? Um, mm. And how we behave internally is to ensure that we deliver on all those small one percenters so that the whole is a good product. And 
that focus on quality across what we do and who we are. I know it's it's a bit cliche, but when you lift up the bonnet and explore what it means internally and what we provide to our clients, it's it's very real. Well done, and what a journey! And, and so, how how big are you now? Like how how where how far have you come in the ten years? Yeah, we've we've come quite a quite a journey. We've gone past sixteen hundred staff across our business, which is great. Um, we've close to doubled in the last, or we've more than doubled actually in the last two years. We've more than doubled. The growth has been pretty, um, mostly year in year out. We've 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 achieved strong strong growth. COVID, when it first hit, we went sideways for for maybe six six months while we worked out what was going on there. Um, but since then, we've close to tripled since when 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 COVID started, close to. It's so incredible, yeah, isn't it? You know, you think these things, it, you think these events are the end of the world kind of events, but uh, inevitably everything bounces back, yeah? Well, yeah, and I, I think I think what did happen with COVID, there were some industries and sectors that that thrived and benefited from that, that the, the outcomes and the changes that were, that, that, that transpired. And there were other industries that were challenged um, and, and had negative setbacks, and there's everything in between. We were definitely a, a winner. In terms of what COVID delivered for our industry was a global, there was a global case study on remote working that was forced upon us mm. um, where people were forced to work from home. And as a result of that global case study on remote working, offshoring and it, our business model has certainly benefited from that because the, what then happens is the next step of thinking is, well, if we've got our teams offshore, sorry, remote working um, within our home country, can we explore having our teams offshore, remote, remote working offshore in another jurisdiction? And that that's definitely helped our business, as has um, the, the global talent shortage that has played out since COVID hit, certainly in Australia and also in the US, um, that's that's helped also. It's so it's it's incredible, isn't it, for the outsourcing industry, I think, because that evolution is so now natural and inevitable, I think, you know, as as the workforce is sort of clambering to to go remote and have a lot more autonomy, it's the employers are realizing actually, you know, there's there's no reason why you should be geographically limited to your local vicinity and people are going global and it's just this natural inevitable evolution now isn't it towards a more globalized workforce yeah uh, that's that's definitely true and that's it's that, that that trend has accelerated as a result of that whole uh, remote working experience that we've that we've gone through and still living um so hmm. And that's, Michael, that, that you, for us has been been positive. You, you say the well, the company is now reaching ten years, so congratulations on that. And you say you're very much the same company with the same sort of mission. Um, but you know, they say strong convictions loosely held, and you seem a very sort of professionalized, um, uh, very strategic kind of thinker. What? How have you seen the industry evolve? Sort of excluding the obvious kind of um, you know movement towards remote with COVID. But how are you seeing this? market evolve um i suppose 
both from client side, maybe in Australia, and then also in terms of the outsourcing supply side. Is it is it identical to 10 years ago, or are we dealing with a completely different beast now? No, it's, it is a different beast. It's evolved a lot. If I go back 20 years, certainly in the Philippines, and, and to an extent India, but India was more developed 20 years ago than where Philippines was. India was earlier um, in the outsourcing well, they were a global leader in that space and Philippines wasn't too far behind. Um, and it was mostly back 20 years for the Philippines, was mostly call centre and contact centre out of US telcos, banks, insurance, airlines, enterprise, Fortune 100 style, um, Fortune 500 style companies. Where, where it was then 10 years ago when um, I founded Satellite Office, was huge opportunity, great talent pool, highly educated um, talent across not just the customer service space, but a whole wide range of, of disciplines outside of that, digital marketing, IT, finance, as well as the contact centre. But it start, the, the emphasis was more on your customer service type functions, even back then, but it was evolving. Where it is today, oh, and sorry, what I'd also say is the quality of, um, there was heavy competition in the enterprise end of the market in the Philippines. Mm. There was not, there wasn't heavy competition in the non-enterprise segment of the market. And that being the business model of outsourcing or the business model that satellite office is, which is different, which is, as the name suggests, building your own satellite office in the Philippines, which is us facilitating across all end-to-end, building our clients, their virtual captive or their own full-time dedicated team across multi-disciplines in the Philippines. The the level of competition in our segment and the non-enterprise outsourcing segment was nowhere near as great as what it was in the enterprise space because the market was focused on enterprise. It hadn't moved or transitioned into beneath that. So that that space has grown enormously as a share of market over that 10 years. The quality of the operators when we first came in, the quality wasn't as great as where it is now. Mm. There's still today, I would say that the, the better providers are at a much higher quality threshold than where it was 10 years ago. I think us as a service provider have improved along that journey as well, and so have others. But I think def- there's been a definite improvement in the quality of the service delivery from the providers in that 10 years. I think the breadth of roles out of the Philippines has definitely improved the investment that the government's been making across um, university-qualified um graduates and, and candidates, as well as the infrastructure that has been in, invested and built on to, to spread um, access to the talent more broadly than just Metro Manila. Um, the um, economic um, concessions that the government's also had focus on building and supporting the industry has been fantastic through that journey and continues to be, and that's through um, uh, multiple uh, different governments in that time. So uh, it's definitely evolved. It's 
got strong support from government. The players have improved. The quality has improved. The talent um, is getting deeper and broader. Um, so yeah, it's it's and, and you've got the the new wave. I wouldn't say new because it's continually evolving. You've also got the investment in tech and the impact that tech um, is starting to have and will have going forward. I, I completely agree. I, I think there was a bit of a tipping point 10 years when you maybe entered the market. It, it started that, what I call the next-gen BPOs, which is more of the sort of focusing on the SME market instead of enterprise and focusing more on staff augmentation as opposed to managed solutions. Uh, and it, it really took off. As you said, like th- there was far fewer suppliers and far less sophistication in the market back then. But equally, um, the market was so immature that clients didn't really know that it existed. And it was a really difficult sales cycle, wasn't it? Because you had to sort of convince clients that they could offshore and that it's safe and that you had to sort of show them on the map where the Philippines was. Whereas how have you seen that evolve now over the next, over the last 10 years? I, I think now outsourcing is almost assumed. Uh, it's very, this high familiarity in Australia. And is it really now just a case of picking which supplier instead of, you know, should I outsource or not? How, how have you seen that part of the market evolve? Yeah. If you could see, if you had a video of um, my face right now, just put a big smile on my face. It brings back some fond, fond early stage discussions and how um, the questions that we get from clients has evolved. It's so different today to where it was 10 years ago. The types of questions we got 10 years ago was exactly where what you're um, alluding to. It was why the Philippines, well, not so much where's the Philippines, you would occasionally get people asking whereabouts in Asia or or the like of where it was or maybe what the main city was or the like. But you would it would be why the Philippines. Um, you would get questions around time zone or English speaking capability and more an education piece around what's available, um, how how real or what the quality is like. Um, how do you manage remote teams and those sorts of things, which is completely different to today, which we we don't get the questions of why the Philippines anymore. It's the questions today is more, well, why you? Mm. Um, what, it, what, what, what is it that you do different? What's your area of expertise? Um, it's a lot more, um, there, there's more, RFPs and tender processes that we go through. Um, there's certainly more reference checks, which is great uh, that you go through. There's a, a stronger need for operators to understand the pain points that the clients are trying to address to ensure that you're addressing those pain points. It's a it's a it's an embedded integrated partnership arrangement that it's it's crucial for any client building a team in the Philippines to ensure that they get the right service provider that matches what they're trying to achieve. So it's become a lot more sophisticated. Um, and the level of questions is it's certainly improved because the buyers, our clients are a lot more educated. They've got, they've generally had exposure to offshoring teams. They may have had exposure to the Philippines. Um, they're a lot more advanced in, in their journey today than 
where we were 10 years ago. I, I always kind of predicted that there would be a tipping point, as with a lot of things, if you reached about 30% of businesses that started outsourcing, um, you know, all the business owners talk to each other and they, they sort of hear on the street. And then you would reach a tipping point where then every business outsources some of their staff. And especially as the Gen Zs and whatever, the, the younger kids become the business owners and the employers, and they are used to, you know, chatting online and forums and stuff like that. Uh, do, you, do you see a, a point of, is it like singularity where every business outsources or offshores as a default? Or do you think that that is still a bit pie in the sky? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. I haven't had that one asked before. Um, look, it's funny how any business may well be, it depends what you call by outsourcing. Do they have services that are performed offshore? I would say most, mostly across, across most business, the answer to that would be yes. But it may be that they've got direct staff offshore that's a direct relationship that they've got their own direct team or an outsourced team. But it would also be they're using their own service providers that might be home country based, Australia or the US. Um, and that service provider, be it marketing, IT, finance, whatever it might be, law, um, that their service provider has teams offshore in the Philippines or other jurisdictions. So I would think that every most business, the majority of businesses would have some level of support offshore that's supporting their business, whether it's a direct form or indirect. The direct piece is, I think it's, it needs to suit the business for what pain point they, they need to address or what growth objective or what strategic objective they're trying to achieve. It's certainly, um, there's certainly a business case that it would suit most businesses. Um, you're just going to find the right solution for you. Mm. I remember I, I heard an interview with the founder of Upwork or it was Elance back then. And I think they started about 20 years ago and he, he was explaining the to have a website that offered sort of offshore staffing in some form. It, it took a lot of explanation to actually even then convince people that that could work, you know, and it's amazing that then 10 years later you're talking about offshoring teams um, and it, it's incredible, isn't it? And now, you know, 10 years later, you're talking about everyone's aware of it, familiar, and then they're just, it's a, it's about selecting the right supplier. So it's, it's incredible, isn't it? In just 20 years, which is half of sort of a person's professional career, um, the whole world is, is catching up. And uh, it's certainly going to be boom time for the Philippines and, and most outsourcing destinations. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that, I think it's, it's continuing to evolve as well. So, we're going through quite, there's been quite some change over the last two years with with uh, COVID and the like. There's change that will evolve with um, AI and RPA and automation and the like. Um, and, and the industry will continue to evolve. And you, you focus a lot on quality. And I think that's really necessary in this space because, you know, there's so much association with, 
with lower quality and outsourcing. So I think it's really important to to face that head on. But you know, you are as opposed to sort of a managed solution where you are actually responsible for the outcome itself. You're providing a staffing solution. How do you manage to ensure quality when ultimately the the final quality is really up to the employee doing their work? Yeah, and look, that that's a that's a great question. And I th- the focus on quality for us with our solution is heavily people focused, but we, we, it's also the service we provide and the tools that we use to, to um, assist with that. And for any given role, so a, it does, a third of our business would be customer service and sales. A third is uh, all your tech developers, BAs, QAs, testers, digital marketing would be a third, but the faster growing third and a third, the other, the last third is finance, finance related, financial accounting, payables, receivables, data entry. Whatever you're recruiting, when we're recruiting for our clients, we're aiming to get the best person for any given role. And for us, we're looking to target the top quartile. We're looking to talk, to understand exactly what the brief is from our client, not just from what's on the job spec, but what's not. So it need, the, what's not on the job spec often, but not always will be cultural type considerations, who they report to um, and n- nailing down what the top three or four things are from a priority perspective that are non-negotiables. So that when we're recruiting and sourcing candidates, we're focusing exactly on the success, the success factors are for any given role and paying in the top quartile because what you're making sure that you're not cutting costs in a low-cost jurisdiction, you're doing paying to get the best talent ensures that the output and the quality of person will be at least as good as what you have in your home country. Um, mm. So that's certainly a, a key piece is getting the best person it's along that journey it's also then us understanding the client so that we're an extension of their business that's helping with that process we are the legal employer um, and we manage end-to-end hr so right from onboarding all their life cycle through as, as as a as a talent within our business and then um in the event there's offboarding through that whole piece, we're doing engagement, L&D, um, making sure that their comp and benefits are attractive across the board and that you evolve with what you do with health insurance, life insurance. There are other types of non-financial considerations around work from home, work from office and hybrid and those sorts of things, as well as what I mentioned, uh, the, 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 the other benefits of health insurance and, and life and those sorts of things but it's being high quality within those um benefits of how and how they're provided so there's also the tools that you use across our, our organization to de- to deliver on hr um and there's the the people in the fun side some fun part of engagement be that celebrating um the client that they're working for and how they would celebrate in their home country, how you deliver that into the Philippines team, our own engagement and, and parties and um, 
in, uh, events for Halloween or fitness events or um, community type um, charity type work, which is which is of value to staff members in their communities to Christmas parties. So it's 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 whole of life cycle, if you like, mm. and and the and the, the last piece I'd add into that um, is one of the most critical parts that's not financial related that has a very strong retention element to any any staffs um, st- st- being retained by the client is how well the client brings that those staff on board and treats them like their own. Filipinos are fantastic workers. They're very loyal. They're very much about what's in it for us. They're very family focused. Um, and the more the client does to treat the, to treat their Filipino team as an extension of their Australian or US team, it just goes so far in terms of the retention of that of, of those staff to the client. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's a thousand little foci, isn't it? It's it's and it's so important to get all of that right. How does the conversation go with clients? I it occurred to me a little while ago, like outsourcing is fundamentally like uh, it, it attracts low cost mentality of buyers, and then people trying to offer sort of a high cost solution, it, it it's met with a lot of resistance, and typically the industry then attracts people that want to you know they're not happy with saving sixty or seventy percent, they want to save eighty or ninety percent. You know, and sort of cut out all of the services, cut out all the layers, and then they're completely unhappy. They get disappointed, and then they sort of you know leave. Instead of people just being happy, saving fifty percent and having absolutely top flight staff with top flight services, and if you save fifty percent, that's incredible. But it, it's really difficult to to manage the expectations of people and get them to spend a little bit more so that the the upside or the benefits are sort of exponentially greater. Yeah. Do you, do you see that sort of struggle with clients? Um, a little bit, but I think the, the clients who focus on if they, our rule of thumb is you'll get around two, three staff to one. So it's a, a 66% saving is a, is a rough rule of thumb. Um, and the way that our business model works is there's two components to the cost. There's the direct costs of the staff. We're very transparent. We don't mark up on the direct costs of the staff, the salary and their own costs. And then you've got your solution fee, which covers any of the costs that we incur around rent or property or IT related services and our team to provide everything we do. The two of those combined is the total cost of the staff member. And that's the total aggregate cost is your three for one. Um, when you, and we're saying our rule of thumb is around 66%. We don't see and haven't had a huge influence of clients trying to get that 66% to be higher. Um, those style of clients are not then focused on quality and they're not as focused then on either um addressing whatever pain points or value add and growth considerations they, 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 they would like to address with their business. They're just focused on a dollar outcome. And that style 
is not as scalable and nor is it as strong from a performance of team or person perspective. So it's not sustainable. The, the, the client that comes through that and the way that we try to work with the client is what are the operational improvements that you're trying to, that you'd like to achieve? What are the growth objectives that you're trying to achieve? What, what's, what determines success in the team that you build in the Philippines? And let's ensure that what we build is what we're aiming for is an improvement on what you have now from an operational and performance and quality perspective. So that the outcome is that they get an improvement in whatever they're, whatever they're, whatever they're, whatever team they're, they're actually building and looking to build. And a benefit is that you get a 66% saving and that's an output, but it's not our preferred driver. Our preferred driver is let's focus on how we can make improvements to your business and we'll work with you and partner with you on how we deliver that. An outcome's going to be you're going to save your two-thirds, and that's great. Um, and that will then be more scalable and be more of an extension of your business long-term, which is great for both of us. And it's profound, isn't it? You know, saving 66% on for, for most businesses is, is one of the biggest cost centers of a business. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. We we still prefer to focus on the the other qualitative aspects, and you get the benefit of the the financial quantitative aspects, if you mm-hmm. like. So it's it's it, it's it does, I think, deliver a better outcome, especially then if you're looking at say, I don't know, a customer service operator, a, a, a developer. A, an AP officer, whichever role. Um, Often the difference between a good, say say it was an AP officer, um, the difference between good and great might be $1,000 or total annual cost. But the output of that incremental $1,000 is multiples. Of value, and you still, and that's within your two-third savings. Mm. So, from our perspective, and I've, we do this with our own internal teams, the focus if is on getting the best person for your role, um, and paying the little bit extra to get that best person, because the return you get on the incremental focus on quality is multiples compared to what you compared to that investment. Yeah. And since you're an accountant, what are your, what are your perspectives on uh, inflation? Obviously inflation is rampant everywhere at the moment. Salaries are going up. Certainly there's staff shortages talking about the Philippines. There seems to be a shortage of um, good skilled labor salaries are rising and the employees are sort of asking for, you know, for better, well, like more, always more. Um, and, you know, I'm more positioned in the Philippines where I see this as it's, it becomes a difficult market to recruit the staff you need at the prices you need. But I'm, I can then only 
assume, or you know, it's obvious as well, but the the prices also are going up in Australia and the US, and there's generally labour shortage and things like that. So, is it sort of going up in step with everywhere else? What what are your perspectives, sort of seeing both the Philippines' perspective and, and being based in Australia? Yeah, a great question. So, I'd say the Philippines mirrors inflation and wage growth that you're seeing in Western world. It's a, the inflation and wage growth that we're seeing in Australia and the Philippines, it's it's a global concept. Um, now, the numbers are slightly different in terms of the percentages, but not by much. But the absolute numbers are quite a lot different due to the lower base that you're coming off in the Philippines. And what I mean by that is... Um, in the Philippines, inflation is currently running at around between six to seven percent. It's it, right now at the end of May, it was six point six percent for the twelve months prior. Um, so call it six and a half percent inflation. Wage growth is slightly under inflation. So if if C, if CPI is six point five, wage growth might be five and a half to six and a half percent on average again across the market. Now, the numbers aren't dissimilar to what we've got here in Australia. Um, but if you're looking at a 70,000 salaried person in Australia and you, and it's, let's say it's, it doesn't pick your number, 5%, that's $3,500. Now, if, if, the, if you're looking at, say, 20,000 in the Philippines, at the same 5%, it's $1,000. And they're accelerating at the same rate. But the difference is actually getting wider in Western countries because the base is higher. Even if the rate of increase is slightly higher in the Philippines compared to Australia, which is only slight, the gaps actually in dollar terms is larger in the home country than it is in the Philippines. The only, there's, there's also micro markets within those wage um, increases and inflation, not so much inflation, but within the wage salaries increases. IT is growing at a faster rate than non-IT. Now, that's not a Philippines concept. That's a global concept. Mm. So if wage growth is 5 to 6% across the whole, IT is above that. Um, but the rate of IT salary growth is not disproportionate to what's happening in Australia. If the, if the IT wages on average, uh, maybe they're 7 to 8%, but that would not be dissimilar to what we have here in Australia. And some roles would be a lot more than that within IT and some IT roles below outside of, you know, job promotions and change in function. They're the sort of numbers that we're experiencing in the Philippines, and I, I, I don't think it changes, or if anything, it actually maintains the the the, the basis of the model because it the what the, the rate of growth in the Philippines isn't accelerating to a level that changes the business model. If anything, it's still supporting and helping the business model because the rate of growth that we're seeing off a higher base in Australia. Yeah, it's fascinating. And isn't the, it? and do sorry, you... and and the, and the US. Yeah. And do you see, you know, if you project with, you know, which is impossible, but 30 to 50 years out as 
the sort of geographical borders come down on employment and there's sort of more of a global workforce, do you see that salaries would reach more of an equilibrium globally? Or do you think that, you know, because of the different costs of livings and as you say, that sort of lower base and higher base, um, it will it will sort of either remain a long way away from each other or even grow further apart. Do you, do you sort of see a time where it, it could move more towards equalization as opposed to moving further apart. I mean, we're seeing that in, you know, Chinese manufacturing, the the labor in Chinese factories is is now contributing more and more significantly to the cost of products, isn't it? Because they're, they're in higher demand and they're charging more. I think that that part is true, but is the Chinese labor getting, reaching, catching up to the cost of, Western labor and your question of, was it 50 to eight? How, what was your time frame? Yeah, you can pick one, uh, 30 to 50 years, you know, once all of this, 30 is to 50. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's crystal ball. Yeah. Um, uh, look, I think the gap will, the gap will, um, narrow. I don't think the gap gets, breached or, or get, it gets matched because um, I think your, your other point was the cost of living I think would still remain lower now that's that's been the case over the course of modern history if you like if you went back a hundred years ago you still had the disparities between cost of living and um, in certain uh, parts of the world compared to others so I think you will get a bridging of the gap, but I don't think it's material enough to um, question the 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 the, the to, to not allow the benefits of the of the of the business model. But I think yeah. a lot there are so many other things in that time frame, like the challenges of tech, automation. And well, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe that's a good segue. Actually, it's like AI is is hot on the lips of everyone, you know. And obviously, the last six months for AI has just been boomtown, hasn't it? And people see the outsourcing industry specifically as being highly susceptible to to just being sort of knocked off the earth by this stuff. But I see it as no more susceptible than anything else because you know all the US checkout clerks are going, all the drivers are going all the menial jobs in the US could potentially go as well. So is outsourcing offshoring any more susceptible? What are your thoughts about AI and, as you say, ML and automation and things like that? I, I think the the outlook for the industry depends on the approach that the industry takes and not just the industry, but the service provider. So, yeah, it, it definitely... AI, RPA, automation can be a cha- can be a, a threat and a challenge to to our industry and the service providers, but it can also be an opportunity. It can be an enabler. It, we can that the, those technologies can be part of the solution that assists um, in the service delivery of what we do for for our clients. So. Um, BPOs and ourselves, we're, we're using this technology now across the tools that we use and implement as part of our service delivery, be that across recruitment, be that across HR, L&D, 
um, be that across, you know, looking to recruit those, the talent that have those skill sets to support our clients using those skill sets. So I think depends which way you look at it, but if you treat it like um, and embrace it and allow it to be an enabler and use effectively evolve with the technology that's coming into play to allow yourselves to then provide talent with those skill sets or evolve your solution to include the benefits of the technology, I think you're going to be very well placed because you still need humans to um, run and manage on the, the use of these solutions and to yeah, work with the machines. Yeah. Um, if you like. So, yeah, I, I think, I mean, our approach is, yeah, it, it may change the mix of your business and the style of roles that you have or the, the specific functions that staff perform within within roles. Um, but there's also the opportunity there that to embrace the technology and that the talent that we, that we recruit um, have evolved into in, in using the technology to be part of the solution, adopting and using the technology. So I, I see it more as an opportunity um, with some change that will take place along the way. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? And, you know, it's, it's to say you're now, you know, 10 years old and we're really having a conversation about how do we manage AI in the business. Like it really has arrived to a degree hasn't it and you know it was always sort of this uh, far off thing that it's so it's incredible how business is continually evolving and you've, you've always got to manage the new things on the horizon yeah and look i mean it, it, it becomes part of normal life i mean microsoft have already started rolling out elements of their automation ai into their tools and some of that's at enterprise. Some of it will be rolled out to non-enterprise across their suite of products. So it's real and it's being used every day and it'll continue to grow and evolve and, and be more advanced than where it is today. It, it's just, I think people and businesses evolve with that process as well. And if you don't, you're going to get left behind, but if you, evolve and embrace and enable that use of technology as part of what you do, uh, you become part of the solution along that journey as well and you benefit from, which is the approach that we're taking. What a place to leave it. Gosh, what a conversation. So as always, um, incredible journey and congratulations for, for that 10th year anniversary, really uh, something uh, incredible there. If anyone wants to reach out, I always encourage people to, to, to reach out and see how outsourcing can transform their business specifically. So how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can um, go to our website is, is one safe place, if you like, satelliteoffice.com. You can drop me an email, which is mmcritchie at satelliteoffice.com. You'll be able to find the name, I assume, on the on the podcast, but it, to spell it easily, M-M-C-R-I-T-C-H-I-E at satelliteoffice.com. Happy to um, 
happy to have people reach out and happy to continue any conversations, queries, questions that people may have. That was Michael McRitchie. He is the CEO and founder of Satellite Office. As always, if you want to check any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to email us, then just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.